0: more than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me. What's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky?
1: I never win and tell.
0: Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for
2: details. It's never been easier to communicate with people, but it's never been harder to know which platform you're supposed to communicate on. Here's a simpler solution. With call, meet, and message all in one app, Ring Central makes communication easy. With all that connectivity in the palm of your hand, you can work from anywhere, with anyone, at any time, and never miss a beat. Because when it comes to communication, simple is better. Learn more at ringcentral.com. Ring Central, simpler communications. Hey, today. Hey, This is
3: the MD's Fantasy Football Show with Dan Maynard, giving you the X's and O's of all things fantasy.
2: What's going on, MD Nation? Welcome back to the MD's Fantasy Football Show, streaming to you live on social media at PhillyFMDFF Show. And of course, subscribe to the MD Fantasy Football Show YouTube channel whenever you get the opportunity to do so. As always, I'm your host, Dan Mater, joined here with Chris Dowhower, because it is that time of the week. It's Wednesday night, which means the Thursday night preview and the early window preview games. For us, it's on the East Coast. It's just the 1 o'clock games on Sunday, West Coast, you know, different times, whatever. But that's how we refer to it here on the MD's Famous Football Show. And make sure you check us out on your favorite pod streaming app afterwards on iHeart, Google Play, Citrus, Spotify, iTunes, Spreaker, wherever you like to go. And we'll be back on Thursday from 6 to 7.30 p.m. on the Unhinged Radio Network at unhingedsn.airtime.pro. And this week, instead of having the Thursday night game cast and the late window of games that I usually go live with at 8.30 on Thursday, instead, I'm actually going to be going live at our old time from 11 a.m. to 12.30 p.m. on Friday for that. So we'll be able to actually fully be able to recap the Thursday night football game and talk about the late windows this particular week. Just a special time for this week with a little schedule change. That's it. That's all. But we'll be there. And then, of course, Chris, I mean, we're going to be back that night to talk about the DFS contest, the lock bets of the week. And we'll be on Radio Unhinged that day, too, from 730. Again, at unhingedsn.airtime.pro. Whew. All right. Now that I got all that out of the way, Chris, how are you doing tonight?
4: I'm doing pretty well. I mean, it feels like football weather out there. I think we're getting close to the midpoint of the season. Got a lot of things kind of riding on the line here. And I'm excited to talk about some football, especially this upcoming week.
2: Yeah, me too. Look, we got rid of week seven. We no longer have six teams on by. We have two teams on by. So now we're just mostly dealing with injuries. We have the Ravens on by Raiders are on bye week this week. And I mentioned that first because one of my by lows of the week, I think it's going to be Josh Jacobs. And here's the reason why the last couple of weeks before he had the chest injury, this past game that knocked him out. And then the week before Suddenly, under his new coaching staff, Josh Jacobs is allowed to catch the ball. He had five targets the week before. He was getting worked in on passing downs before he got knocked out again due to injury, which we don't expect him to miss any time for. They already said it's a minor injury. They think after the bye week, he'll be completely fine. So we're expecting him to come back in week nine and be good to go. I think sky's the limit for Josh Jacobs if he's actually going to be involved in the passing game, even if Kenyon Drake has a role Jacobs is looking like somebody that I would like to buy low on. What do you think about that, Chris?
4: Yeah, I mean, I do think Drake's going to have a role moving forward, but I can't disagree that his new coaching staff definitely utilizing the backfield more efficiently. A lot of these guys kind of just shine and do the better job out there. Um, I think that one of the things you want to keep in mind, though, with Josh Jacobs, as you said, when you talk about buying low, I wouldn't give up too much because this guy does seem to get banged up every couple of weeks. But I definitely agree with his opportunity. If you can get him on a cheap price, go for it.
2: Yeah, 100%. I just want to throw that out there because, again, they're on the bye week, so we we're not going to talk about them otherwise. And that was somebody who came to my mind today. That I just, I made, I wanted to make sure I made a note of it to get it out to MD Nation. Hey, take t- 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 this guy out, buy low on him because I think you can for pennies on the dollar. So, because he still really hasn't had a great fantasy game yet, but his usage, I felt like he's trending in a nice direction, even with that terrible offensive line. If he's going to get involved in the passing game, it doesn't matter. He has a touchdown potential and he'll have another extra floor. That he hadn't had, frankly, under John Gruden and now might have under this new coaching staff moving forward. So just wanted to put that out there real quick. But we do got to hit this sounder before we dive into anything else.
0: Breaking news.
2: Mark Ingram traded to the Saints. Now, not big fantasy-wise. Here's what it does immediately. Philip Lindsay, I would expect to take on that Mark Ingram role as the main rusher. David Johnson to maintain in his role, aka Brandon Cooks is still the only buddy, the only person who has fantasy value on that team. Uh, and as far as Mark Ingram goes, look, they are dying without Tony Dones Jr. to find a guy to be, you know, a second back. While we love Alvin Kamara getting thirty touches a game. I don't think that's what Sean Payton really wants to do. Now, you can look at this as one of two ways. Okay. Maybe this means Alvin Kamara doesn't quite get the 20 carries a game that he was getting, but maybe he goes back down to the 12 of 15. But we have a full force moving forward. We've seen the last two weeks, and maybe this just concretes that idea that he's going to be back to being Alvin Kamara when it comes to the passing game. Chris, where are you at in this trade for both, you know, fantasy wise for Houston and for the Saints?
4: Yeah, I don't think it hurts Alvin Kamara at all. I mean, I think this is basically like an insurance policy in a lot of ways, make sure they have somebody they can kind of bang between the tackles and kind of keep you, like, on the workload lighter on for Kamara. I agree with you. I think even if he gets his you know, carries cut back slightly, it's not going to affect his game because he'll be still involved more in a passing game. I wonder if this isn't more than anything just the lack of weapons really for the Saints right now, that they need to have kind of somebody they can move around the Swiss Army knife. And Alvin Kamara might be their second, if not best, receiver right now. So, I mean, I think what you're looking at right now is a guy, a team that's trying to find their identity offensively and add more playmakers. I think Ingram's is a guy that's kind of, kind of you know, not going to come out there and steal 15, 20 carries or anything along those lines. So he's not a guy necessarily targeting to add, but I think doesn't hurt Alvin Kamara at all.
2: Yeah, I, I tend to agree with you there. Look, until Michael Thomas comes back, I think the idea is that Alvin Kamara has to lead the way because otherwise they don't have a passing game. They just don't. The receivers, frankly, Marquez callaway has been a disappointment. The receivers just frankly aren't good enough. <laughs> I have to I have to make this quick comment. I just keep hearing over and over and over again from these my fellow fantasy industry experts out there talking about well, Traquan Smith is back. Take a look at him, pick him up. How many times do we have to go down this road? Traquan Smith, whether he's the guy or not, and I don't even think he is necessarily. He's definitely not snap count wise, not next to Marquez Callaway, regardless but how many times we go down this road of he does not produce regardless if he's the number one by default?
4: Yeah, I would 100% agree with that. Uh, we talked about on Belly Up Fantasy Live on Tuesday evening this past Tuesday about that their very similar sentiment. I, I brought up Trey Smith specifically. and really, no, For my eye test, uh, Marcus Calloway looks good out there. The problem seems to be more than just the, the volume. He's kind of being involved in the passing game enough and Winston kind of still finding his rhythm, but they seem to be on the same page. Winston and Trey smith are obviously not on the same page at all. I mean, they got into it on the sideline. Uh, Trey Kwan-Smith got hit in the back of the helmet a couple of times because he didn't turn around for routes. So I think what you're seeing right now, maybe with this trade, is Trey Smith smith I think his days in New Orleans are numbered. I think this guy is never going to be something, and they've been trying to make him be special for a long time. And You know, fantasy people always kind of talk about this guy. He's never stepped up any opportunity the last three years that he's had chances to kind of shine. He's done nothing. So Trey smith to me, is a nobody, and I wouldn't worry, really worry about him.
2: Yeah, I mean, while we're on the topic, I do think that Michael Thomas might actually help Marquez Calloway's fantasy value down the road, because then he could just be kind of that big play guy. He would be a boomer bust option, no doubt about it. But I think it might actually help him if and when, well, I shouldn't say if, when Michael Thomas comes back, because I think we're only a couple of weeks away from that happening. Okay, Chris, let's dive into what this show's really all about, which is we'll kick things off with the Thursday night preview like we normally would. And the Packers are in a heap of trouble. You have Devontae Adams out for, you know, getting COVID-19, testing positive for it. At least he was vaccinated. Now, because it was the Thursday game, he had pretty much no chance. He didn't travel with the team. I I highly doubt he tests twice within the next 24 hours before the game tomorrow. So I don't think you're going to have a Devontae Adams out there. So then everybody got all excited and, and, Unfortunately, this news came out after my waiver wire report, because I even put in the waiver wire report how Alan Lazard was going to be my number one receiving option to pick up the stream for this week. Well, then he goes down with COVID, but he is not vaccinated. So it might not just be this week. He could be cost next week now, too, because typically for them, it might take 10 days for them to come back, depending upon his symptoms, his ability to test negative and whatnot. He has a much longer protocol to come back because he's not vaccinated. So now you have those two guys, they're out. They're out. So what do we have left? We have Marquez Valdez-Scantling coming back off of IR. This question questionable, going to be a game-time decision. I think it's hard to imagine him coming back into a full workload his first week back. And then you have good old Randall Cobb. What are you looking at with this receiver court?
4: Yeah, I talked about this as well yesterday. One of the things that really stood out to me is I don't think this is going to be any receivers that's necessarily shine in this role. I think this is going to be where you see the running backs actually shine and become an extension of the passing game. We've seen this kind of in the past when you know Aaron Rodgers doesn't really have his weapons on the outside. He looks to those backs, and I think you're going to see a lot of Aaron Jones and you're going to see a lot of A.J. Dillon on the backfield. And I expect those guys to kind of be the ones who are going to be more of the big bumps that they get for the receivers being out, for Devontae Adams in particular being out. I think is you know he may have, might catch a deep passer there, but you're going to have a guy who's basically hasn't really got a whole lot of practice in coming off the IR, like you kind of talked about and hasn't been highly productive over the last few seasons. Let's not, you know, kid ourselves. Randall Cobb had what a good one, good decent game week two. Um, I just don't think he's going to be necessarily enough to be involved. I I don't love the matchup. I think he's going to kind of struggle versus Arizona who actually has some decent slot guy options to kind of match up with him. So for me, I'm really avoiding this receiving core in general.
2: Yeah. It's not an option that you want to play if you can. In fact, I don't even put it, they're not in my top 36, Randall Cobb and Marquez Valdez Scantling, even with the, you know, in theory, additional volume that they could be facing in this game. Could Marquez Valdez Scantling catch a big one? Yeah, but how is that any different than any other time you want to try to play him? So that's kind of my thing with him. And then with Randall Cobb, I mean, He's not the Randall Cobb of old. There's a reason why they went out and traded for this guy, and he's been, what, not involved this season at all, e- even though Devontae Adams is the only guy they're throwing it to. They've been looking for a second option, and Randall Cobb still hasn't been able to take the reins in that department this season. So I'm not excited by these options. I'm only playing them if I find myself in a desperate flex situation where you know you can say, well, well, they should at least, some volume should be headed their way. I'm more interested to see with Robert Tanyan, because this is a guy who's been you know, kind of off the tight end streaming list. Last week, he kind of makes a a re-emerging appearance there. Five receptions, he had 64 yards, I believe it was, and a touchdown. Does he get more involved in this game, not just target-wise, but because he maybe has a higher ceiling for a touchdown? Is he on your streaming list this week?
4: So, I, I, you know, coming into the season, I was kind of big on Robert Tanya. But one of the big things that's happened with him is that he's had to stay in the block a lot more often than people expected because of the offensive line issues that the you know, Green Bay is going through. They're not going to get David Bakiaki back yet. So I think Tanya's going to have to kind of be back there to kind of blitz, and pick up blitzes, because you see a, a team that play in the Cardinals who love to blitz, love to bring of pressure. It will help that J.J. Watt is going to be out tomorrow. So that could maybe assist him and help him get a chance to kind of get on some routes. But I expect him to be more utilized in the red zone than anywhere. I don't think he's really going to be involved in the passing game a whole lot either, because, like I said, this team loves to blitz and they need him kind of to be back there for press protection.
2: He makes my tight end twelve this week, just because I do think of all the pass catchers, you know, not named Aaron Jones. And we'll talk about him in a second. I think he's got the best chance for touchdowns, and when you're a tight end getting a touchdown, maybe two, utilizing the red zone, you're a top twelve guy. He does make my top twelve list as a guy who has the definite potential for that to happen. In a game in which I think the Packers are going to have to come back from behind. So it's going to open up some other things as well as far as target compensation goes. Aaron Jones is my RB9 on the week. If nothing else, we know he's going to be involved in the passing game just because he's going to have to be. And he'll still be the leading rusher. He is an RB1. I wouldn't be surprised we saw A.J. Dillon. They try to really use this running back group in general. Gets a little extra volume. He maybe could be a sleeper flex depending upon what you're I don't want to do it if you have other options but could be a sleeper effects the one thing with the Arizona Cardinals is that JJ Watt is out which believe it or not that has big ramifications for the running game maybe even more so the passing game at this point in his career where there should be some things open there for Aaron Jones for AJ Dillon do you think sky's the limit for Aaron Jones is he going to be more of that back in RB1 that I have him ranked at and what he's kind of played at uh last few weeks
4: yeah, I think he's got a chance to finish the top five back this week. I love the matchup. A lot of people talk about the Cards' defense. They, not have, they haven't really a lot of numbers versus the run, but they haven't really faced a lot of offenses that can run the ball that well either. Um, so th- I think this is going to be a situation, like I talked about earlier, where those running backs are going to be heavily involved in this game. I think Aaron Jones is going to be involved not only in rushing attack, but definitely in the passing game. I wouldn't be surprised if you see a lot of him and Dylan out there at the same time. So I think this is going to be an opportunity for Aaron Jones really to shine this week.
2: Last but not least, of course, is Aaron Rodgers. He does make my top 12. He's my QB 11, so he is a low-end QB 1. Look, with or without Devontae Adams, he hasn't really been all that impressive fantasy-wise this season. But going up against the Cardinals, even a slow-paced team is going to have to quicken their pace a little bit just because they're going to have the ball a little bit more often because the Cardinals will force you to. So because of that and because Rodgers is so great that even without a Devontae Adams, he can find a way to have a – Solid low end QB1 performance. If he's been your quarterback, I'm not going to come off of him for a different option.
4: Yeah, I I tend to agree with you. I think that you you have a guy who's basically shown his floor for most of the season. He's going to be a solid play no matter what's out there with them. By way of expecting him to let it up necessarily, I do think he may finish in the top 12, top 14. I think you're looking for a guy to get me 250 yards. You're hoping for two or three touchdowns. But what you're really looking for is somebody to use his legs a little bit in this game. Maybe scramble around make some plays because he's going to be needed to kind of be that creator out there.
2: And we saw him start to do that last couple of weeks a little bit more. Looked at the beginning of the season he had no interest in doing so. Last couple of weeks he started to pick up some first downs with it. You had to imagine in this game he might be forced to do so. So you kind of have that to go with it as well. Again, not super excited about it, but he does make my low end QB1 list. We finally are going to have a, a good Thursday night game, Chris. And we got these, they're both coming in limping. Now you go to the Arizona Cardinals side of the ball and DeAndre Hopkins, a true game time decision could not practice at all. This week is dealing with a hamstring issue. So in a way it's kind of amazing that he even might be available on a Thursday game They're leaning towards him playing. If he does play, of course, he's a wide receiver one. He comes at wide receiver 10 for me this week. If he does suit up and go, because it's Green Bay Packers and because he's DeAndre Hopkins. But this is something you're going to have to watch and make sure you don't get stuck with Hopkins in your lineup. This is a good case to abide by that, you know, that age old advice of when you have guys playing on Thursday night, make sure they're in your wide receiver. Not that he wouldn't be in your wide receiver position, but make sure they're actually in their position, not in the flex to screw you later on.
4: Yeah, I think that's great advice to make sure that flexibility that you're not going to sabotage yourself you know, later in the week if you get stuck having a guy in the wrong position. But I do think DeAndre Hopkins is a play. I think we've seen this kind of you know, show before the season a couple of times where he hasn't practiced all week and still plays when it, when it matters. Um, he's not usually highly productive in those situations, but he usually is good for a touchdown opportunity. So you expect that he might not have the ceiling you're hoping for versus a great matchup, but you're expecting that he should have still have a solid floor.
2: Before we move on for our other Arizona Cardinal uh, analysis, we do have a comment coming in from Twitch, uh, Yak Benjies. He asks, he's asking Tyler Lockett or Chase Edmonds this week. I gotta do you go. With, it, you gotta go with Chase Edmonds. Go ahead, Chris.
4: Yeah, I was going to say, that. to me, it's a no-brainer. you got to go Chase Edmonds. I think the matchup versus Green Bay is fantastic. Their linebackers are slow. He's going to have an opportunity to kind of get, beat them both in a rushing attack and in the passing game. And you saw last week he looked healthy again. So I think you're seeing the Chase Evans kind of reemerge as that guy in the backfield. So i definitely go Chase Edmonds.
2: You hit the nail on the head there when you say he looks healthy again. Was off the injury report – well, actually, we'll just dive into this since we're talking about the Arizona Cardinals anyway and Chase Evans, where I have them ranked. He, off the injury report last Friday, completely came off. So you knew he was healthy – at least more healthy than he had been the past couple of weeks going into that game, and what what should have been a James Connor uh, game script. And I had Connor ranked ahead, and he had the touchdown, so he did ultimately score more fantasy points than, than Chase Edmonds did. But it should have been a game, James Connor game script, like it had been the past couple of weeks. The fact that they made sure that Chase Edmonds led the way in carries got his targets, got his routes run in a game in which they really didn't need to use him that way if they didn't want to, tells me that they were making an emphasis, making a point that, no, 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 Chase Edmonds is still our guy. We still love him. He's still going to be the lead guy, and Connor will still have his, you know, bulldozer red zone role to go with them, which means when you head into this game against the Green Bay Packers, a more competent team even without Adams to say the least than a Houston Texan team is you love chase Edmonds in this matchup and his ability to pop. He had the big play, but he still has especially point, full point PPR leagues, a very, very nice floor heading into this matchup. As you said with the slow linebackers, my question to you, since you already kind of broke down chase Edmonds, where do you have James Connor in relative position to Edmonds?
4: Yeah, I think they're both good plays. I think James Conner is a good flex play for anybody this week. You're kind of hoping he falls in for a touchdown, which he obviously has a chance to do versus his struggling Green Bay defense. Um, I think they're going to be more on a blitz-happy team because you've seen that lately Arizona has been struggling with pressure. Tickle Offs Line has been kind of giving and collar hit a lot. So I wouldn't be surprised to see James Conner you know, be utilized somewhat, but I think you're depending on him as well.
2: Yeah, agreed agree with you there. I think you cut off a little bit at the end there. We'll keep an eye on that, but you're, you look like you're back and okay now. Uh, I do have James, Chase Evans at 23, James Conner at 24. I have them back-to-back on each other. Uh Again, connor has got a great opportunity for a touchdown in this game. So I think you continue to play him as a low-end RB2, high-end RB3. And, of course, Edmonds has the bigger floor with the bigger workload in the passing game. Outside of those players, and obviously you're playing Kyler Murray, my number two quarterback on the week. I don't really think we need to talk about him too much. Christian Kirk gets into my top 36 wide receivers this week. He comes in for me at top, at uh, wide receiver 35. He's kind of like the best of both worlds between an A.J. Green and a Rondale Moore. AJ Green, you get the volume. He's still involved quite a bit. He has a safe little floor. Rondell Moore, you get the big, exciting potential, the big, exciting, you know, boom plays. Kirk does a little bit of both. He's playing enough where he does have a safe floor when it comes to volume. And in certain matchups like this one, especially ones that Hopkins might be a little bit limited out there, he does score touchdowns. He does make big plays. I think Kirk can be a low-end wide receiver three flex play for you guys this week. What do you make of the rest of the Arizona Cardinal wide receivers heading into the Green Bay Packer matchup?
4: Well, since one of the things I've noticed are trend-wise with A.J. Green is that every other game he scores a touchdown. So he didn't score a touchdown last, last week, so that means he's going to score one this week more than likely. That seems to be the MO. He's going to get us six targets, 60, 70 yards, and every other game gets a touchdown. Hot Pudence is banged up last time that happened. We saw A.J. Green kind of have an opportunity more in the red zone. It was definitely their primary target, red zone. So I think he's, he could be a play. Um, Kirk, I think, is difficult because I think him and Rondo Moore – it's so difficult to decide who they're actually gonna give the opportunities to. So I think Kirk is a kind of a shot that you can take. Um, I like him more in DFS than I actually like from you know, any kind of year long leagues because I think Christian Kirk is a guy that you can just easily go out there and do nothing for you. They don't really need to be throwing a ball a whole lot I and mean, I think they're still gonna throw the ball. But this is an offense that could if you know, in theory should be able to handle this green Bay team pretty well.
2: Yeah, I don't, I don't know. Other than one game, uh, Christian Kirk has outplayed usage-wise Rondell Moore every single week. So I, don't, I think it's pretty clear-cut who's getting the more opportunities. I, I get where your point's coming from, from the standpoint of there are times where they go into it focusing and scheming Rondell Moore plays and certain things. I know that's what you're getting at there, but in a Thursday night matchup, against the Packers, I don't think that's going to be one of these games, which is why I definitely lean towards a Christian Kirk in this one. He definitely has a low floor because, what well, if he doesn't get that big play, if he doesn't get the touchdown, then he's just he's going to get you, what, five, six, seven, eight points, maybe somewhere in that range, depending on what kind of league you're, you're playing in. But he's playing enough. And, again, the Hopkins being limited thing is where I'm like, mm, Kirk will be the guy I think will be able to take advantage from the slot because he continues to play that slot position. And that's going to be a killer down the seam against the Green Bay Packers in that particular game. Last guy to talk about, I can't believe it, but Zach Kurtz he makes my top five tight ends this week. Usage is there. The matchup is there. They love him. And even if he just continues to be Max Williams as far as his usage goes, because he's 10 times better in this offense, he's a top five tight end for me.
4: Yeah, I don't know if I'm that, that high on him, but I do think Zach Ertz is part of the reason why I have questions about Christian Kirk's floor and his opportunity because I think Zach Ertz is kind of start is some guy that you're seeing being utilized more in the middle of the field. He didn't right away become a, a major target in this offense. Uh, Green Bay has struggled versus tight ends all season long, so I think this is an opportunity for this guy. You know, he's still slow as molasses out there. Still isn't re- this still isn't super oppressing me. But to your point, he definitely is better than Max Williams who was oper- had basically because, you know, single coverage consistently. Zach could be single coverage consistently, so he's opportunity to score a touchdown, maybe get his 30 to 70 yards in that range because he's not going to ever have, like, a huge game yardage-wise, I don't think, anymore. But I think you're opportunity where really he still gets involved, especially in PPR leagues where he can get five, six catches.
2: Let's talk about betting this game. This line's been moving more and more in favor of the Arizona Cardinals. Is now up to minus seven. Thankfully, I jumped in on it when it was minus six and a half. But it is now up to minus seven. The over-under is still set at 50 and a half. Chris, where are you going?
4: So I want to go with Green Bay and the upset because I think Arizona is kind of due for a a loss. And I also think that they play down to their competition, especially when they think they're going to win. Um, But having said that, that New Orleans game keeps standing out in my mind. and remembering when Devontae Adams wasn't involved in this offense, how putrid it really looked. So I do have some concerns. So I can't be that gutsy, but I want to say Green Bay can upset them because so I think they I think they're gonna hang around. And Aaron Rodgers, you never want him back into a corner, he usually comes out firing.
2: Before the news came out about Devontae Adams on Monday, I was in your camp. I thought the Arizona Cardinals were due for a loss. I thought the Green Bay Packers could be the team to give it to him. No longer am I in that camp. And I've gone so far the other way. I like I said, I jumped in on this game when it was at minus six and a half, which I feel better about than than minus seven, but I'll probably, you know, I'll probably say no contest because uh, I do think the Cardinals will win by a touchdown. I think this would push it. I don't know if they definitively win by because even without Devontae Adams, it's still a competent Green Bay Packer team as long as Aaron Rodgers is on the field. So I don't know if they're going to win. You're basically saying they got to win by two scores here. I don't know if that definitively, or I feel good about that definitely happening. I think it. The odds are more in the favor of the Cardinals that it should because to your point.
3: Hi, I'm Grace, and I'm an Indie Vet.
0: I'm also home from work at 6 and already transformed into a princess. Mommy, put on your crown! That's because I've got complete control of my schedule, plenty of shifts that fit my life, and a team like no other. It's a whole new way to vet. Indie Vets.
2: When Adams isn't involved, we saw that twice. It wasn't just a Saints game. It was a few weeks ago, too, when Adams didn't put up a big gaudy stat line. Because of the way this offense is being conducted right now, when Adams is not involved, it's not very effective. So that, that's where it becomes an issue where your strength may not be as strong as it needs to be because that weakness of the defense, to your point, I think the Cardinals often should handle it quite easily. So I would lean towards the Cardinals at minus seven, but I would say ultimately no contest given the situation of the Thursday night game and the fact that the Packers can not keep this, I believe, within, uh, within two scores, which is essentially what you'd have to do there. So I'm probably not going to bet on this game. So let's dive in now to our first Sunday matchup Chris let's talk about the Carolina Panthers and the Atlanta Falcons Ooh, I know so exciting this crappy NFC South matchup I do want to do a victory lap dance though I, everyone else has been doing who's been in this boat with us so we might as well go ahead and do it too Sam Darnold sucks Sam Darnold sucks uh, gets benched in the fourth quarter for PJ Walker last week oh huh. so awful so awful indeed and now You face yourself with a situation against the Atlanta Falcons. Another crappy defense that you should be able to take advantage of. You should be excited for DJ Moore. You should be excited for Chuba Hubbard. But Sam Donald proving that no matter how good the matchup is, he could torpedo the whole thing. Having said that, DJ Moore is still wide receiver six for me this week. The one thing I will say in his defense is that even though Donald the last couple of weeks has been terrible, DJ Moore has still been able to give you a floor. So if Sam Darnold's just a little bit better against the Atlanta Falcons, doesn't even have to be good, just a little bit better than he was, let's say, last week, DJ Moore has a chance for 100 yards and a touchdown in this matchup with the way he's looked. I've been very impressed with the way DJ Moore has looked this season. So he's still a wide receiver six for me in spite of the Sam Darnold effect.
4: Yeah, I, I agree with that. I think D.J. Moore has shown you that he can play with basically no matter what the quarterback situation is going on. And the way that they're utilizing him, they're allowing him to run the whole full route tree. They use him on the inside, they use him on the outside, so you can't really just match up and try to take him away. He's going to be the—he's probably the only guy in Carolina you can trust week in, week out. Everybody else is kind of iffy, but that's the guy that you know for sure is going to be involved one way or another.
2: Hey, I got Daniel Kay. I'm going to call him Daniel K because I'm not going to pronounce that last name correctly offhand. But Daniel K coming back in on Facebook. He's been returning quite a bit. Thank you, Daniel K, for tuning in. I'm assuming when he says D. Johnson, he's talking about David Johnson here. Any of you going to play D. Johnson this week, Herbert Johnson or Patterson, which is why I'm assuming he's talking about David Johnson uh, in this. He's talking about the running backs. He needs one. I don't see how it's not Patterson here. Chris, would you go Herbert, David Johnson, or Cordell Patterson if you needed one?
4: Yeah, I'm not sure if it's David Johnson or Dernis Johnson, but either or, I don't think you play those. either one of those guys over um, Court over Patterson. I think Patterson is the must play this week. You see him kind of take over the backfield usage. And the great thing about him is he's always going to have a floor because he's involved heavily in the passing game. So whether or not he rushes well, he's always going to have a good opportunity to be able to get your points out there because he's so involved in the passing game and probably is their de facto receiver number two right now. Um, even even borderline, arguing number one, um, Red Woodley really hasn't been that effective. Kyle Pitts is coming on, but it just helps him be more effective because now you can't keep on taking Patterson away. So I think Patterson is the must play. Herbert's Patterson. not a bad play either,
2: though. Patterson, Yeah, Herbert's not a bad play in this matchup. Either the 49ers defense taking a big hit uh, this past couple of weeks, but uh, Patterson, the fact that he was now working ahead of Mike Davis, and I know Arthur Smith came out today and made a comment about well, Mike Davis is still going to get a workload, to get his workload. That's fine. Patterson has to be the playmaker of this team, and due to his involvement in both the passing game and now what looks like an added rushing attack, you have to stick with Cordell Patterson, who continues to be at the very least, a high-end RB2, but very well could be a, a low-end RB1 as soon as he scores. in as Daniel Kay saying he didn't look good last week. Uh, I thought he looked just fine, given the situation the Atlanta Falcons were in. I think he'll be fine against the Carolina Panthers. In fact, I'll give you this. He's my RB21 on the week, which is one spot ahead of Cleo Herbert and many spots ahead of David Johnson. Uh, getting back to the Carolina Panthers real quick, though. Chuba Hubbard, talking about another running back in that game, he is my RB16. Now, I know last week wasn't great. Again, it was, nothing was great for the Carolina Panthers, but he was the most targeted running back. He still got the touches you want as far as carriers go, plus 15. Talking about a guy who got you about 20 touches last week. That's all you can ask for, especially in another plus match against the Atlanta Falcons. I know it didn't work out against the Giants like it was supposed to, but you stick with Hubbard as a mid-level RB2 with some upside.
4: Yeah, Matt Rule wasn't an idiot this week coming out and saying that we're going to try to run the ball as much as possible, basically telling the, the other opposing team what your, your game plan is. The Giants even talked about that you know, after the game, that they were prepared for a rushing attack, and they wanted to show that you're not going to be out physical less. So it got them kind of hyped. I think Atlanta doesn't have the same kind of playmakers in defense, particularly in the middle, and I think it's going to be an opportunity for Chuba Hubbard to be kind of get back involved. And this is pretty much his last chance. McCaffrey should be back you know, sooner than later. So I think Chubb is going to have a chance to kind of be involved heavily in this game. We've seen him kind of be utilized more in the passing game as the season progressed. So I think in one way or another, you have a floor. And I think other than him and D.J. Moore, that's pretty much all you have offensively. So you're just hoping, like you said, Sam Darnold doesn't torpedo everything. But if he does this decently and Darnold is back to running the ball a little bit more, I think Hubbard's just going to be just fine.
2: And keep Robbie Anderson on your waiver wire. That's the only thing we really have to say about that. Go to the Atlanta Falcons side. We talked about Cordell Patterson. Calvin Ridley comes in at wide receiver 17. For me, a mid-level wide receiver 2. I talked about this a little bit in the recap. I really didn't like what I saw this past week coming out of the bye. I was hopeful for Calvin Ridley because Matt Ryan was starting to throw the ball a little bit more down the field than he had the first couple of weeks. I was like, all right, let's get him targeted past the line of scrimmage. But what wound up happening this week, was Kyle Pitts played the Holyo Jones role and Calvin Ridley still operated within five to 10 yards of the line of scrimmage. He happened to get a touchdown, which saved his fantasy day. And against this match, the Carolina Panthers have been good against wide receivers. There's, There's no other way around it. Even without JC Horn, they've been good against wide receivers. And now Stephon Gilmore should be playing in this game this week. We'll see what happens. They do do a good job of moving Calvin Ridley around, so I don't think he'll get shadowed, but... You're pretty much playing him as a mid-level wide receiver, too, based on the volume that he has. Does he have the talent to turn this thing around? Yes. But I don't think he's going to be the wide receiver one people are hoping he was going to be at any point this season unless something actually changes with Matt Ryan in the play calling.
4: Yeah, I mean, I think it brings up some, some concerns with him in regards of can Arthur Smith's offense feature more than one player? It seems like, you know, Pitts is the new guy that kind of they're featuring and utilizing, particularly down the field. Calvin Ridley has been a glorified Cole Beasley out there, I mean, basically this season. He's mm-hmm. averaging 110 yards per carry, I mean, of reception, hasn't gone down the field. You don't see that explosiveness or that gliding ability. Hasn't been featured in the red zone like he had been in the last couple of years. So I definitely think there's a guy that you can still kind of start as a receiver, maybe three or flex option, but you're not looking for the ceiling that you would hope for in this matchup.
2: It doesn't make sense, but Calvin really wouldn't be the first player to suffer the consequences of a coaching staff not making sense, unfortunately. Kyle Pitts does come in at my tight end, too, because he's not a tight end. He's a wide receiver, but he gets to play at tight end, so he gets to be a cheat code, and and gets to be a tight end, too, as a result. Like you said, getting featured right now very heavily in that offense and just has really tremendous upside, really love his usage really this entire time.
4: Yeah, I think he's a good play. Uh, we, like I said, I feel like this right now Arthur Smith's basically able to utilize Patterson and one other guy. So right now it seems to be Pitts, and that's be, the trend is kind of moving that way. The last couple of games have been over 100 yards. He's starting to be actually be able to like attack down the field more often. Matt Ryan seems more comfortable with him, and he's going to have a chance to be heavily involved in this game because we don't think either team's going to pull each other out. It's going to be probably a close game throughout.
2: Yeah, it will be a neutral game script, which should be good for the teams. Possibly a shootout, but I don't know, maybe if Sam Darnold was better, it definitely would be. As far as betting this game, I can already tell you it's going to be a no contest for me, but minus three for Atlanta at home, over-under set at 46. Anything about that intrigue you, Chris? The over-under, perhaps, 46? Or maybe you like Atlanta to to cover the minus three.
4: Yeah, I think this is a pick-em game in my mind. I don't know how this game's going to unfold. I mean, in theory, like you said, it could be a shootout, but both offenses have really struggled at times this season. And I think that you have defense in Carolina was much better than it showed last week versus the Giants. And that front four can definitely give Matt Ryan some issues. I think this is going to be a lower scoring game overall. So I think I'm not really touching this game if I can avoid doing so.
2: Yeah, I'd say I'd say no contest overall myself. Let's dive into an AFC East matchup that should have been on paper. Looking forward to it. it was going to be a hell of a lot better matchup. Than what it's going to be the second time they're going to see each other. So it'll be done after this season. But we talk about the Miami Dolphins and the Buffalo Bills. Now the Dolphins are healthier on defense. We saw that last week. Played a little bit better. Xavier Howard, Byron Jones are back. We have Malcolm Brown gone. Now look, I I feel bad for the guy. I don't ever want anybody to get injured. But the fact that now by default, the Dolphins offensive coordinators have to utilize Gaskin and Savant Ahmed to some degree, but it's consolidated. There's no way around it. There's no reason why Miles Gaskin shouldn't be the leader in that backfield as far as touches go. Maybe not carries, but overall touches. And it's a match in which they need to use him in the passing game. Now, because it's number one defense, I still don't have him ranked very high. I still have him ranked actually at RB29. But I feel more confident. I've had him ranked in this range the last couple of weeks, but I feel way more confident in him being ranked at RB29 this week that I have had him in the same range the past couple of weeks because now I know the touches have to be in store for him. So Malcolm Brown's on the IR, so he's out for a couple of weeks. So Chris, what's your take on Gaskin, not just this week, but at least for the next couple of weeks while Brown is out?
4: I mean, I think he's actually relevant. I think he was a guy that was borderline unrosterable for a point there, and now he turns to a guy that you said you know, can use for an RB3 option, not a flex or your RB4, just back up some guys here or there. I do think this is a good matchup in paper for him. Um, it would be really interesting to see Matt Milano plays. Matt Milano is a fantastic coverage linebacker. If he doesn't play in this game, I do think he can be more involved in the passing game. And the, I, you know, we, we realize the Dolphins don't like to run the ball, so I'm not really betting on that necessarily, but I do think that the weapons are still kind of banged up. Parker may or may not play still. May or, you know, could be other threat really out there. So I think you're going to have to see this guy be involved one way or another unless they're just basically trying to you know, not use anybody. But I think we saw before when they only had two running back options, it seems to be guys can, can actually be productive.
2: Yeah, because then take the choice out of their idiotic hands, which is what they've been all season long. Yeah, to bring that up, Devontae Parker limited again today. They seem more hopeful this week that he's going to have a chance to suit up than others. If he does, he'll probably be in that high-end wide receiver four, low-end wide receiver three territory. Because keep in mind, he plays, he's going to be one covered up by Tredavius White in this game. So even if he's able to go, I don't really love his ceiling in this matchup, even on a heavy pass volume offense, that I expect to have to throw the ball a lot in this matchup as well. I don't expect this to be the buzzsaw that it was when Jacoby Percet played, but may not be far off because the Dolphins still have a long way to go to be impressive to me or have any kind of confidence that could actually show up for a game like this. I am still playing Jalen Waddle. He's my wide receiver 29 this week. He has a very safe floor because of the volume that he's been seeing, the same thing goes for Mike Gesicki, who, like Kyle Pitts, is not a tight end. He is a wide receiver, but he gets the cheat code of playing tight end. He's tight end seven for me this week. Even if Parker's out there, again, because he'll be covered up by white and there's still just not a lot of weapons to go to, Gesicki will still get a lot of the volume. Uh, Gusecki's been somebody who's been a sell-high candidate for me because my thought is more so when Parker's fully healthy and they're not playing teams like the Bills and Will Fuller comes back, how does that target share then break down? Because I think Gusecki's been thriving because they've had no choice but to throw him the ball quite a bit. We've seen in the past before when Tua has other options, he may choose to go to those other options. So Gusecki's still somebody I might shop around if you can get a bona fide tight end, top five tight end the rest of the season. If that's possible for you, which... Very well could be Darren Waller. I talked about him yesterday as a buy low candidate. I don't think it's the stretch to say that Mike Gesicki and a player could get you Darren Waller on a bye week right now, with being that he's been kind of disappointing over the past few weeks. Just something to kind of throw out there. But for now, Mike Gesicki might tight end seven this week.
4: Yeah, I would just advise if you're going to make that move with Mike Gesicki, wait till after next week because they play the Texans and everybody scores touchdowns at tight ends versus the Texans.
2: I got another question on a uh, Twitch here tonight. Kings 929. What two should I start out of Jacoby Myers, Cortland Sutton, or T. Higgins? Go ahead, Chris.
4: Uh, Cortland Sutton and T. Higgins, to me, is a no-brainer. T. Higgins got 15 targets last week. I know they didn't have the stats kind of in the matchup, but he's had over 34 targets since coming off the IR. You know, Jamar Chase is definitely getting a lot of attention, but he's not getting a lot of volume thrown to him. So T. Higgins has a chance, definitely with this volume, continues to be. They were blowing their Ravens team out, and he still had 15 you know, opportunities to be out there. So I think Higgins is due for a touchdown. And then Cortland Sutton, a lot of people are worried about, you know, what's Jerry Judy going to do? How's that going to affect this offense? I'm not particularly worried about that. I think Cortland Sutton is going to continue to be who he is, and Jerry G might actually just help him. He might take some pressure off of him and allow him to kind of face a lot more one-on-one coverage. He looks healthy to me. Tate Bridgewater loves to throw to guys. And don't forget, Tate Bridgewater, unlike Sam Darnold, was able to feature two receivers on that Carolina team last year. There's no reason he can't feature two guys in his Denver offense, particularly against a defense that hasn't been that great this year. So I'll go Cortland Sutton, and i go definitely go with um, T Higgins.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think rest of the season, it sets up as a kind of a Russian roulette situation with the Denver Bronco pass catchers because somebody's going to get left out between Cortland Sutton, Jerry Judy, or Noah fan. One of them is going to probably get left out on any given game, just a matter of who it's going to be. But in this matchup against Washington, I still think while Judy looks like he's going to be fully healthy, I still think it's a bit of a stretch to think that this guy's going to come out week one and have his full workload right off the bat. You love the matchup against Washington and T. Higgins is a very, very strong wide receiver three for me this week. Again, going to your point, but the usage that he has had, the one thing you have to remember about Jacoby Myers, while the volume is there, he's got no chance to score a touchdown and very, very rarely over, ever goes over 100 yards. Two things very much within the range of outcomes of a right. Portland Cortland Sutton and a T. Higgins.
4: Yeah, and I'll have one more thing. That Chargers defense hasn't given up a lot to these receivers this whole entire season. They're going to get Chris Harris more than likely back healthy, so he, he plays more in the slot. So I don't think Myers really has the upside you're looking for this week at all.
2: Moving to the Buffalo Bills. There's not a lot to talk about as far as, you know, Josh Allen's my QB1. Stephon Diggs is the wide receiver. Five for me. Uh, the volume's been heading in the correct direction over the past couple of weeks before the buy. I expect that to continue. Emmanuel Sanders is wide receiver twenty-seven, wide receiver three. I think he's pretty much that volume. I, I think they're I think those guys are at that value no matter what the matchup is. Even if it is against a more healthy Dolphins secondary or a future team, uh, like they've played some so far. I think that's what their what their value generally is going to be on a week in, week out basis. The guys that are interesting, of course, the running backs, but then Cole Beasley. Without Dawson Knox, Cole Beasley gets a bump in the target share. I think he's the main beneficial, or benefactor, I should say, for that. So he comes in at wide receiver 40 for me. Still not high up there, but I wouldn't mind, especially in full-point PPR, playing Cole Beasley in a flex spot.
4: Yeah, I think Cole Beasley has some opportunity to have some production. Talk about Dallas Knox you know, being out, him yeah, be more involved. I also think, that for me, I think Emmanuel Sanders is actually going to be more involved. He's been kind of just a deep threat guy for them. But you see him and Josh Allen do have a connection. They do like to go to Emmanuel Sanders. They seem to scheme a lot for him. That's why you know Diggs isn't having the great games he's had. So he's had you expect that out of him this season for the most part. Uh, I think Sanders is going to be probably the most beneficiary. But I think Cole Beasley can be one of those guys that you, you need to kind of throw somebody out there in your slot receiver, um, in your flex position, or maybe your third receiver. You really have you're on a buy issues. I think Cole Beasley can be a play, especially in PPR leagues.
2: Yeah, I went to there. And then you go to the running backs. Zach Moss is 28 for me. Devin Singletary is 31. I do have them close together. And a lot of people are trying to make this argument that Zach Moss is pulling away in this race. That's not what I'm seeing when it comes to the usage. When it comes to the usage, Devin Singletary is still getting his role, which is a little bit less than a Zach Moss, but not significantly so. I think it depends on the matchup, who they're playing that particular week, who's the better mismatch in that particular game. I give the edge of Zach Moss this week against the Miami Dolphins. I think he's a little bit higher upside when it comes to actually scoring a touchdown. But these two are still RB3s in a committee, for me at least. Where are you at, Chris?
4: Yeah, I'm pretty firmly on Zach Moss's corner. I agree with you that it can be sporadic. This coaching staff seems to kind of vary what they like from week to week. But Zach Moss has been taking over more and more opportunities in the backfield and being utilized in the passing game. And definitely the red zone preferred guy. So, I think all those things added up together versus the Dolphins' defense was in future versus the runs this entire season. Zach Moss has the most upside. Singletary has probably a safe floor to sense that he can get you the 67 yards, maybe break a big run here or there. But you haven't really seen him utilize a lot in the red zone. You haven't really haven't seen any big plays in the passing game. I think Zach Moss is probably your safe play. And I think he's got some opportunities, a little bit more upside as well.
2: The Buffalo Bills are 13 and a half point favorites at home. Coming out the bye, the over under is set at 49 and a half. I think I'm taking the over. I'm not going to go with the lines, the big line. I think the dolphins will play much tougher than they did the first game around, but I am going to take the over. I do think this game gets over 50.
4: I agree with that. Yeah. I think that the, I, I, I tend to agree. I think dolphins are going to show some fight. If they're not going to show fight this week, then they might as well just pack it in. But I, I have that's the great. feeling that there's actually going to be a team that's going to kind of rise up to their competition versus they seem to also be dropped down on their competition. So I think they can actually have an opportunity to kind of hang around with Buff a little bit more. And I think they can score some points. Two of look good out there. As long as they kind of you know have at least Parker and, and Gusecki out there or at least multiple weapons, they can be involved. They can keep up in a little bit scoring wise in this game.
2: Well, it's just funny to me because I actually have this game at 30 to 20. So I'm 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 predicting the 50 point line. So therefore I'll hit the over on that one. I do think it'll be a decent amount of points scored. What we're going to do now is take a quick break, get a word in from our sponsor. When we come back on the other side, we still have more games to preview from the early Sunday window of week eight. So make sure you stay tuned on the MD's fantasy football show. We'll be back right after this. When it comes to gambling, you always want to make sure you're getting the best bang for your buck. That's why I always bet with my bookie at my bookie. You can bet on all your favorite sports with exclusive promotions, contests, and more ways to find your winning bet. Right now, when you make your first deposit with MyBookie, you'll instantly receive double your first deposit. It's easy. All you have to do is go to MyBookie.ag, sign up, and use my promo code MDFantasy, and MyBookie will double your first deposit instantly up to $1,000. How's that for fast money? Use your extra funds to bet on this week's biggest games, including the battle between the Chiefs and the Titans, where Airmel Offense takes on Smash Mouth Football. Look for the score to run up quickly and bet the over. This promotion is only available for a limited time, so don't miss out. Head to mybookie.ag and use my promo code MD Fantasy and secure double your deposit bonus today. That's promo code MD Fantasy so you can double your funds to double your winnings to bet anything, anytime, anywhere with my bookie.
3: You're listening to the MD's Fantasy Football Show.
2: Welcome back in MD Nation to the program. You are listening and or watching the MD's Fantasy Football Show streaming to you live on social media at belly up MDFF Show, And of course, subscribe to the MD's Fantasy Football Show YouTube channel when you get the opportunity to do so. It's a great follow. I guarantee you'll like it. Make sure to check us out after the show on your favorite pod streaming app, iHeart, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, iTunes, Spreaker, anywhere that you like to go. And we'll be back tomorrow from 6 to 7.30 on the Unhinged Radio network at unhinged sn.airtime.pro. As always, I'm your host, Dan Mater, joined here with Chris DeHauer, of course, previewing the early window of games for week eight. Chris, we're at the midway point. This is where we are. We're thick kicking off the playoff races right now. So everyone's scrambling. Your waiver wires are heavy. Not that there's a lot of talent, but you're trying to make maneuvers. You're trying to look ahead a couple of weeks now. We're probably, I think week 12 is most people's trade deadlines. I don't know if that's changed with the extra game or not on most formats. I haven't actually looked, but trade deadlines are coming up for your teams too. So you're trying to get those in. So make sure you keep firing off those questions. We've had several questions today. Love it. Keep it coming and keep firing off in our DMs on social media. That way we can get you possibly on the mailbag segment, which will be later on today. Let's dive into this abysmal game. It's a shame you're not a Chicago Bears fan anymore because we could actually have some fun with this. But we got the 49ers and Bears game to talk about, I guess. Let's talk about the narratives going around with the San Francisco 49ers first. Uh, Jimmy Garoppolo is going to be the starter, of course. Trey Lance did come back to practice today. Uh, Shanahan sounding less and less confident on how much he wants to keep starting Jimmy G because you know he follows that game up on Sunday night with, I guess, it'll be Jimmy G. That's a real... That's a real vote of confidence right there. Look, the offense has been putrid. They're 18 18 points. They've they've had trouble scoring over 20 points ever since week one, essentially. And now they're two and four. So I talked about this during a recap show. I'd like to see if you agree or not. Elijah Mitchell and Debo Samuel, which Debo Samuel, by the way, didn't practice today because of calf injury, expected to play, but watch that with his history. But assuming he's healthy, Debo Samuel and Elijah Mitchell are both Sell high candidates for me because if now, if I'm reading the tea leaves, it looks to me like it's sooner rather than later that Trey Lance does take over and wind up being the starter, whether Jimmy G's hurt or not. If that happens, I don't want anything to do with this passing attack offense watching Trey Lance throw a football right now. And with Elijah Mitchell, his problem is that Lance was is going to run a ton as they build this pistol RPO offense. He showed that first game, he wants it all for himself. Either way, even if he hands it off to Elijah Mitchell a few times, his carries will still be cut down. His red zones uh, uh, opportunities, couldn't find the word there, opportunities will be cut down. And we still have Jeff Wilson Jr. who may be making a return come November. That Jeff Wilson has the history of having Shanahan's trust. I think he'll probably have a role when he comes back. So you mix all that in. I'm looking at Debo. I'm looking at Elijah Mitchell. And while they still have really good value, I'm trying to sell high on these guys.
4: Yeah, I totally agree with you. Um, I think that one of the things that you saw, Elijah Mitchell particularly, was when Trey Lance did play. He's not he's not getting the red zone opportunity you talked about or the opportunity to get a lot of carries. And That's going to kill him because he's not involved in the passing game. He's not a guy they play out on third downs. They seem to have a role where it's going to be with Jamal Hasty. was going to be Hasty when, he took- when Wilson Jr. comes back in maybe a month or so. But overall, don't forget George Kittle's also going to be coming back in this equation next week. So you have a lot of different guys who can kind of vulture off each other. And if Trey Lance is going to be the quarterback, I just don't think he can spread the ball around and be keep, beat these, any of these guys consistently. And this team is barely scoring two touchdowns a game. So that's where you have they're kind of definitely sell high kind of candidates because with Mitchell's not going to have an opportunity be in the red zone, he gets you 80 yards. So what, 70 yards? It's not going to be enough to really win a lot of leagues for you or a lot of games for you because he's not scoring in the red zone, not getting his big play touchdowns for you.
2: And not getting worked in in the passing game because that seems to be all Jermichael Hasty's role on top of it. Elijah Mitchell's not allowed to uh, work there, apparently. Uh, yeah, so that's kind of where I'm at as far as long-term goes. You hit on the nose, you know, George Kittle is going to be back next week. So that's good news for the people who've been holding on to him, waiting for your tight end to come back. Whether it's Trey Lance, whether it's Jimmy Garoppolo, I think George Kittle's still a top-six tight end. So you're going to play him week in and week out. For this week, at least, while we still have Jimmy G, I do like Elijah Mitchell. He comes into my RB18, and I do love Debo Samuel, considering he's healthy, at wide receiver four. Now, I do want to talk a little bit more about Debo Samuel. Again, the calf issue, they don't seem to have a lot of concern about it. Shanahan came out right away and says he's still pretty optimistic that is going to be able to play this week. But he has that history of this calf injury, this soft tissue injury, flaring up on him time in and time out. If you have the ability to do so, now I'm not going to spend a ton of resources. I'm not going to, you know, just drop anybody. But if you have the roster flexibility to do so, Brandon Ayuk becomes an interesting stash because believe it or not, as a wide receiver, he's a handcuff. If Debo's out, by default, he has to be the number one guy. He has to take on that role, whether Shanahan wants him to or not. Okay. So that in that sense, as a handcuff, he has some value. So I would stash Ayuk. The wait and see exactly where Debo Samuel really is with this injury.
4: Yeah, I think you definitely have to have some you know roster flexibility to do that move. I do think it's something you can kind of watch game day if you can make a quick add. Um, you know, I agree with you that if he's is Debo Samuel was to be out for any kind part particular reason, Brandon you could naturally step into that role and he does a lot of the same things. But obviously, when Debo's out there, it seems the entire offense runs through him. There's no involvement for anybody else, and Kyle Shanahan just basically hates his draft picks. So I don't know if anybody's ever going to get to play that if you're a draft pick you know, in the top four rounds for this team because it basically Kyle Shanahan you go Kyle Shanahan's doghouse immediately.
2: Yeah, I'm not going to rehash all that because I I, I already went through that on the the Sunday night Monday night pre, uh, recaps and the waiver wire report on Tuesday morning where I went on a whole rant about Shanahan and his draft picks and the 49ers from a fantasy standpoint. The flip, flip things over to Chicago it's brutal. Justin Fields is not looking. It's not all his fault, but he, he does not look good. A lot of YOLOs, a lot of throwing blind deep balls for absolutely no reason at all. The only fantasy-worthy player on the Chicago Bears is Khalil Herbert. That's it. That's all. He's RB20 for me this week. I like him. Or, I'm excuse he's RB22 this week. Excuse me. This week. So he's a low-end RB2. I do like the match against San Francisco 49ers. The rush, the run game has been strong even against Tampa Bay. He still ran for hundred yards and the 49ers are banged up on the interior of that defensive line right now. So they're not the run stopping defense that they used to be. So I do like Herbert as a very safe RB 2 play here. But the reason why I have him at 22 and not, let's say, I don't know, 16, 15 as a mid-level RB 2 everyone's making a big deal about the usage of Damian Williams saw. I am scratching my head. I'm still trying to figure out what people were expecting when a guy who did not practice at all because it's the COVID. Remember, it wasn't like he got designated from IR to return and was in the in the building practice and then got activated on Saturday. No, 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 no. This was COVID. He wasn't allowed in the facility. He didn't practice that week. He got activated on Saturday to you know be a depth piece on Sunday, but he was never going to be involved in any capacity. I still believe Damian Williams is the more involved pass catcher if both guys are healthy and actually part of the game plan like they will be this week. So that's why I have Herbert with a little bit of a lower floor than I normally would in this matchup, but still a very strong RB2 play for me and I'm still not playing Damian Williams if you can at all help it, but adjust your expectations on what that workload really is.
4: Yeah, I actually have him you know, a little bit lower. I think he's made a flex play because of Damian Williams. I totally agree with you. People seem to have misread the, uh, the tea leaves last week where they thought Damian Williams was going to come out there and resume back his role. That was never going to happen. you got to realize these teams made their game plans early in the week. There was no game plan for Damian Williams to be involved in, the, in that game. with no practice on top of it. They weren't going to sit there and just throw him out there just to throw him out there. I think Khalil Herbert hasn't, you know, struggled at all and, and looked good, but I would expect him to be less of the workhorse moving forward. Even David Montgomery, who is a true workhorse, wasn't allowed to be a workhorse for this offense completely. So I expect that you're going to be right, that you're going to see them kind of vulture each other's touches, that Damian Williams will be back kind of out there more involved. And um, I, I have to agree with you. I also have to say something about, you know, Bears offense in general. A lot of people were clamoring that Justin Fields had to play immediately. And I'm not a big Matt Nagy fan and I don't defend him very often, but maybe he wasn't wrong on this one because man, that guy does not look ready to play quarterback in the NFL. I was really hopeful that Trey Lance was going to play because either is he It's going to be a glorified rugby game. If that would have happened, And I would have been kind of excited to see how who could score more field goals in that game.
2: No, stop wishing ill, more <laughs> ill on my team. It's bad enough as it is. Uh, and just a quick mention, you're not playing Darnell Mooney. You're not playing Alan Robinson. If you can at all, help it. Uh, Getting to the game, that actual betting of this game, I did place a wager. Now, it was at minus three and a half earlier. This line has now moved to minus four for the San Francisco 49ers on the road. I did place a wager on the 49ers covering the spread. I would, I would still do it here at minus four because the Chicago Bears have been just that inept on offense. But I do think the 49ers will cover here because if they don't, I think everyone's head's going to be on fire too, also as a result of that. No Cleo Mac in this game goes a long way in this kind of prediction as well. The over-under, the over-under is 40. I can't remember the last time I've seen that low an over-under. And you know what? I ain't touching it because it's probably right. But I'm going to stick with San Francisco minus four in this game. Where are you at?
4: Yeah, so the game's not in San Francisco, so obviously they should be within the game because they can't win oh, at yeah, home. yeah, that's the other key, too. Um, and then on Chicago, I think the 49ers are still a more talented team overall from top to bottom. So I agree with you. I think 49ers aren't going to lose by more than four points, and I wouldn't be surprised if they win this game. Uh, I think they have actually more of a cohesive offense. They have more of a plan of what they're trying to do. 49ers are favored st- minus four. Oh, 49ers are favored by my, yeah. minus four. Okay, yeah, yeah. I, I go with that because I think that's a good. I think that's a good spread. I think the 49ers are going to win this game. I think that you have more talent, on the top to bottom, on the 49ers. If anything, I'm going to bet on this game. It might though be is the under because I wouldn't be surprised if neither team gets to that 20 mark either, and it's like 17-16.
2: <laughs> yeah I, I can't argue with you I can't argue with you on that on that one but that's a good point San Francisco's not at home they are for whatever reason a much better road team no doubt about it so you can actually have a safe bet there with them against Chicago in this matchup let's move on to the Pittsburgh Steelers and the Cleveland Browns in a tough battle two teams that have a lot of question marks offensively what I don't have a question mark is Najee Harris he comes in my eight. I don't have a question mark about Deontay Johnson, especially with I don't think it's going to be a Denzel Ward out there. So he's got he comes in at wide receiver 12 for me. And Chase Claypool, limited today at practice, I think he will be okay for the game. He's at wide receiver 31. Remember, you have the additional floor of the volume that Juju Smith Schuster leaves behind. And Claypool in this game, he would have been the one actually probably would have seen Denzel Ward more than Deontay Johnson would have. Without him in there, he does have a bigger opportunity for a big play in this one, but I think he's a nice wide receiver three with some upside. So anything about those three guys, or do you have anything to say?
4: I definitely agree with you. I mean, this Cleveland defense has a decent front four, but their secondary has definitely ever achieved whether Ward was out there or not this entire season and definitely exploitable. So I think all three of those guys are great plays this week. The
2: only thing I, I will say is that just moving forward, Pat Freermuth, if he continues to play more and more, will probably sneak into my top 16 of tight ends. So he'll be a streaming option at some point with his current trend of usage, but I'm still not quite there on him yet. Just something to keep your eye on. Now you're going to Cleveland Brown side of the ball. And this injury list gets uh, longer by the day. So you got Baker Mayfield. He did practice the limit capacity today. It does look like he might have a legitimate chance to play on Sunday just to, I don't know, muck everything up because he's not playing well anyway. I think Kate, I, I think honestly, I think they'd be better served to have case Keenum play quarterback right now and just have an actual game manager who doesn't have one shoulder out there, frankly speaking. As a result of that, OBJ, who did practice in limit capacity today, Jarvis Landry did not, but they still think he's going to play. Jarvis Landry's a wide receiver four. OBJ's a wide receiver five. If I can help it, I don't want to play either one of these guys.
4: Yeah, I tend to agree with you. The Steelers' defense is exploitable on the outside, but it's going to have a tough time. The pass rush is going to be able to get home. They're getting healthier and healthier in this Pittsburgh defense, so I think it's going to be some situations for whoever as a quarterback is. And one of the things I saw last week that I'm wondering was going to continue was they actually coached well with Case Keenan, where they were calling a lot of different uh, plays that were made in kind of directions, yeah, a lot of bootlegs. For some reason. Yeah. So I, I, I think that if the coaching you know steps up again, there could be some points to be had for either one of these guys. But I would try to avoid them if possible. My I think the more safe play, honestly, is OBJ. even though he's hurting, hurting right now. Jarvis Landry looked like he was like running in quicksand last week. And if he's already hurt again, I have some concerns about how much he can really do. Maybe PPR purposes, he can you know, fall down for five catches or 25 yards. But big play-wise, this guy's not going to do anything for you. And Pittsburgh Steelers have been pretty good in the slot position overall for the most part this season.
2: Big play-wise, OBJ's not going to do anything for you. Even though Jarvis Landry was running quicksand, they still got him targeted more times in that game.
4: And at 25 yards, I think it was, or 35 yards. Um, but the one thing for both those guys that has some hope for either one of them is that Peoples-Jones will be out this week. So it does get an opportunity for the one of these two guys to actually be more involved in the passing game than normal.
2: Yeah, I hope, you, I hope you have other options to not have to play either one of them. Nick Chubb comes in at RB14 for me. It's still a tough match against the Steelers, although the Steelers are not as invulnerable to the run as they were, let's say, last year, but still a tough matchup here. The I don't whether you're playing Nick Chubb is not really the question. And the good news is that he's expected to be back and he's practicing in limited capacity today. I think the question is okay, Dearness Johnson, do you get the full Kareem Hunt role or do you just get a portion of it? If he gets the full Kareem Hunt role, he's going to move up into my rankings and he's going to get inside my top 36 and he'll be a flex consideration moving forward. That is, if he's only going to get a portion of it, then Not so much. That means he's just kind of there to give Nick Chubb a spell, which means Nick Chubb actually might be a top five RB until Kareem Hunt can come back. What is your prediction on this, Chris?
4: Yeah, I think that if Chubb's healthy, he'll get the lion's share of the carries. I am curious to see how healthy he is and will they give him any touches because they need this guy for the rest of the season, especially as Kareem Hunt's out. So I think there's something they kind kind of keep in mind. I wouldn't be surprised if they try to get cute. And you see, like you talked about Darna Johnson getting part of the role. I think when might also happens, you see, you know, Felton continue to utilize kind of that cream hunt role, especially in passing situations. So I think those two guys beat Vulture, each other, and Nick Chubb might be the only playable back in that backfield.
2: I, I, tend, I, tend, I tend to agree with you, but something I will be watching closely on Sunday, as far as the betting side of this game, the overrunner set at 42 and a half. The line is minus three and a half for Cleveland. And I'm going to give you my upset of the week. I'm taking the Steelers on the money line to win this game. Coming out, their, If they weren't coming out of the bye, I'd probably say no contest. But because they're coming out of the bye, and the Browns' offense is such a mess, and they are banged up on defense again, I do think the Steelers go into Cleveland and win this game. I got them on the money line, which is right now plus 165. Picture Steelers winning outright.
4: Yeah, I'm going to echo that sentiment. I have a good vibe about the Pittsburgh series this week too. I think the buy is going to help them get, and I think it's big time that you know they're getting more healthy, especially on that defense. So I think they have an opportunity to really you know be, get some pressure on Baker Mayfield or whoever the quarterback is, Case Keenum, get some turnovers and win this game.
2: All right, here's another game for you that I'm actually really excited. This game from a fantasy standpoint, I personally have a lot of players invested in this game, but from an NFL standpoint, ugh, you're not going to want to watch this game too much. Philadelphia Eagles, Detroit Lions, Jalen Hurts, it's 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 whew, it's bad to watch. It's really, really bad to watch. But you got to love it for fantasy football purposes because he finds a way to get you plus 20 points no matter how bad it looks, no matter what the situation is. And this week, there may be a chance. Maybe he does something in the first half rather than waiting all the way to the fourth quarter because it is the Detroit Lions. So, of course, you're playing Hurts. He comes in a QB4 for me on the week. Devonta Smith is a wide, my wide receiver 25 this week. I think he's a high-end wide receiver 3, low-end wide receiver 2. You like the matchup here. You're going to see this thing, no matter what platform you're on, that Detroit is actually like a top-10 defense versus wide receivers for fantasy points. Please ignore that. It's not because they're good at taking away wide receivers because everybody can run on them no matter what. But the difference with the Philadelphia Eagles is whether they have Miles Sanders or not, we're not expecting them to have him in this game, they don't bother to run the football, so you don't have to worry about that. They will throw. Devonta Smith, a nice plug-and-play spot this week. I think he's got a chance to maybe get back up to some of those higher end games that we saw uh, earlier in the season. The real conversation, and then Dallas Goddard's my tight end three this week, and I think we saw his floor as far as usage-wise goes last week at five targets, and he still had a decent game at three catches, 70 yards. The conversation I want to have with you, Chris, is the running back position. Kenneth Gainwell is RB24 for me. Boston Scott comes in at RB35. I think the fact that Scott came in and out-carried him right away 7-5 to five, in a game in which he wasn't really expected to be involved in the game plan I think speaks volumes to Gainwell's not going to lead the way in carries. But will he get a few more than what he had with Miles Sanders? I do think so. And will he maintain his receiving role? I also think so. So that's why Kenneth Gainwell in this matchup comes in at RB24 for me this week.
4: So I think the backfield was touchable until they decided they're also going to activate Jordan Howard in this situation. Um, <laughs> I mean, we were talking about a team that refuses to run the ball, and if they do, it's usually RPO for Jalen Hurts to run the ball. So I have some questions. I thought Boston's got maybe somebody to add. I think was upside opportunity. I see this unfolding a lot like that Indianapolis backfield last year did, where when Jeff Wilkins was kind of you know out there as well, and you had Marlon Mack and you had Jonathan Taylor. I can kind of see them all having a role where they flip, basically all vulture each other and you're not really going to know who to play. I mean, you have Bosses guy who kind of plays that Wilkins role where you can actually get thrown the ball or run the ball. You have Kenneth A. who seems to be kind of primarily utilized in the passing attack. And you have Howard who kind of probably be their smash-off guy and yardage guy. So I think all three of those guys, because they're all going to be active and a team that doesn't run the ball other than with their quarterback – it's a great matchup on paper. I just wouldn't want to touch any of these guys. I would have until they decided to you know, throw another monkey, monkey wrench into the situation with Jordan Howard.
2: I think you're over-inflating the involvement Howard's going to have this week. I, I
4: think there's a chance... If he gets he- five carries, they'd be one-third of the touches, man. Do you understand how much this team does not run the ball?
2: <laughs> uh, look... <laughs> that part, don't disagree with, don't disagree five, with. Five
4: carries would be, like, be he's not like, involved yeah, in passing
2: him at all, which is, again, if no, I go no, back to not. Kenneth Gainwell. I think Kenneth Gainwell will have a larger receiving role with Miles Sanders out of the way, because I think they'll just game plan to throw the ball more to the running back, more specifically Kenneth Gainwell in the situation, which is, that's the main reason I have an RB24. I don't have an RB24 because I have him getting 10 or more carries. I have him getting eight carries in this game. I don't have him getting a bunch of carries. Uh, But Jordan Howard, again, in his, like, I could see him maybe being involved in the goal line if they get inside the one. Outside of that, I don't think Jordan Howard's involved at all in this game. So I'd be shocked if he had more than two carries in this game to go to your five carry concern there, take away a third of the carries. uh, Nonetheless, definitely had a problem there with Philadelphia. And again, Miles Sanders, we don't have a definitive timeline. He's week to week, uh, but we don't think he's going to play this week at the very least. Being that's a low ankle sprain, I think it's going to be. He's out this week. Maybe a 50-50 shot next week. Probably wouldn't be back for sure until week 10. That's kind of how I'm reading the tea leaves on this thing. We'll see exactly what happens moving forward. I
4: think he's going to milk it, personally. He's I, in contract here. They didn't pick his option he up. I think he I think he's realizing that I'm not in their team future, and I wouldn't be surprised if he tries to save his free agencies, in a sense. It takes his time coming back.
2: He should, but we'll see what happens. Uh, Detroit, you love DeAndre Swift. He's RB11. The Eagles are not the run-stopping defense they used to be, and Swift is just so good in the passing game, hasn't really mattered. So he comes in at RB11. For me, Jamal Williams, I keep wanting to knock this guy out of my top 36, and somehow he keeps wiggling his way in there. He's at RB34. It's the most boring RB34 ever. You're hoping he scores a touchdown. He's going to get you 12 carries. He's going to get you 50 to 60 yards. He's not going to be involved in the passing game. So that's what you're looking at. So his upside, of course, is a touchdown. Otherwise, he's a flex play that you're trying to get five to six points out of, I guess. But he continues to find ways to get to my top 36. He is my RB34. TJ Hawkinson gets his best matchup he's had maybe all season, but definitely in a while. He comes in a tight end four for me. The usage has gone away on Hawkinson. The volume's been there the entire time. It hasn't quite hit. He's not quite 100%. That much is very clear. When you look at his tape from week one and week two, and see how quick and explosive he looked in those games compared to the last month. Now, you can see he's definitely getting hindered by this knee injury, but will continue to be out there, will continue to be a top five tight end. Anything you disagree with there?
4: No, not really. I mean, if anybody's watched this Eagle defense, basically, if you're, this, this plays in Detroit's hands perfectly. Detroit can't tack you down the field, all they can do is they can dunk down the field. Well, guess what? we saw Derek Carr complete 91% of his passes against this Eagles defense because all they give up is the dink and dunks. So I think this actually plays well for this Detroit offense. They have a fast-paced offense, that so they kind of get a lot of plays going on. I think all these guys can be involved. I wouldn't even be surprised when the receivers actually gets involved in this game because, like I said, basically the Eagles give you the intermediate to short throws, and that's going to be the chance that you're going to do. That's something Derek Goff actually do well, and his offense is kind of predicated and built on. Um, I think Hockinson has a great matchup that you talked about. We saw the tight end for the Raiders had a good game last week. You know, this this defense in general just isn't have any teeth. Fletcher Cox looked dejected out there. I mean, he he basically calling out his coaches, saying like, "Hey, I'm not just a guy who just stands here and gets blown off the ball because you know, let me penetrate sometimes." I think there's a lot of trouble in paradise in Philadelphia, and I think this could be where Detroit actually might be able to be in this game and we pull it out. Um, I we're talking about the betting line in a second, but this is a game where I think the offense definitely can move the ball versus Eagles defense.
2: Well, you mentioned the wide receiver, and I, I just want to make a quick mention. Khalif Raymond does come in at wide receiver 46 for me this week. So he's still at wide receiver 4, but a wide receiver 4 that I think has some boomer bust potential in this game that I think you can plug and play if you're looking around for a spot start because he's dominated usage, and before him it was Quintez Cephas. It looked like week 1 before he got injured was going to be Tyrell Williams. So whoever's playing that X receiver is getting uh, featured in this offense. So Khalif Raymond, I think a nice little sneaky spot start for you guys Uh, As far as betting this game goes, it's minus three and a half in favor of Philadelphia on the road. The over under set at 48. I'm probably not going to bet this game, but if I were, if I were, I'd say plus three and a half in Detroit. I do think they kind of are able to make this game at least within a field goal.
4: Yeah, I wouldn't touch this game. I think it's pretty actually good line because like I can see a 28 28 game in this situation. Like I said, I think the trick could hang around. I don't know if they're going to pull out the win. They seem to smile, manage to lose it every game. The Eagles still are the more talented roster from top to bottom, although they're definitely not as well coached. Um, I do think that there's going to be a game the Eagles should be able to pull out because, it, like I said, they should be able to move the ball. They should be able to you know, do a little bit, some kind of damage um, to Jared Goff at some point and get him maybe a turnover to, or here or there. So I think the Eagles do pull it out, but I agree with you. It's a game I'd probably avoid if I could.
2: All right, what we're going to do now is take a quick break, come back on the other side. We'll have the last three games to talk about for our early slate window and, of course, the mailbag segment. So don't go anywhere. Stay tuned here on the Empty's Fantasy Football Show because we'll be back right after this.
4: Your client's going away for 10 years. Unless. Unless.
2: First it's football season baby and you know what that means it means we're going for two here with the sponsors of today's show manscape blitzing through hairs has never been easier and it's time for you to join the two million men worldwide who trust manscape by using promo code BellyUpFantasy at manscape.com for 20% off and free shipping it's three and out the window with all the other hair trimmers now go tame that wildcat offense. As the world is starting to open, the Performance Package 4.0 from Manscaped is here to help you get ready. Inside, you'll find their brand new lawnmower 4.0 Trimmer, Weed Whacker Ear and Nose Hair Trimmer, Crop Preserver, Ball Deodorant, Crop Reviver Toner, plus two free gifts, Performance Boxer Briefs, and the Shed Travel Bag. The Performance Package 4.0 from Manscaped is the perfect package for your package and a key for great grooming and hygiene routine to make sure the boys downstairs are smooth like Tom Brady in the fourth quarter. Get 20% off and free shipping and use the promo code BellyUpFantasy at manscaped.com today.
3: You're listening to the MD's Fantasy Football Show.
2: Welcome back in, MD Nation, to the show. You are listening to the MD's Fantasy Football Show on social media, at Up MD FF Show and, of course, on the MD's Fantasy Football Show YouTube channel. Please subscribe to get a chance and check us out on your favorite posturing app after the show. And, of course, we'll be back tomorrow, 6 7.30, on the Unhinged Radio Network at SN.airtime.pro. Chris, now it's time to dive into the Tennessee Titans and the Indianapolis Colts probably the most interesting game we've talked about so far, to be quite honest. And with this matchup, of course, Derrick Henry's your number one running back because it doesn't matter what the matchup is. Yes, he was, I you have to give you know them some credit last week. They held Derrick Henry in check to some degree, still 29 carries, but they the Chiefs did hold him in check. Doesn't matter. He's a beast. You're not worried about it. He's the number one running back every single week. Let's talk about A.J. Brown finally has his wide receiver one performance against the Chiefs. Does that continue against the Colts? It should, based on the matchup. It should, based on the volume. Because when even Julio Jones is out there, one, he's not healthy enough to actually make a big impact. But two, A.J. Brown looks like he's getting over the hump of his injuries early in the season, just from the eye test. not Take away the box score, take away the production. Just from the eye test, he's starting to look like A.J. Brown again. He comes in at wide receiver eight for me this week.
4: Yeah, you got to love the matchup. He does look like he's getting healthy out there. And I think that you look at this team, it's a lot like they just saw the 49ers without the weather and more talent. Um, you saw Elijah Mitchell have a nice game, so Henry should be able to have a productive game. And then you look at the receiver. Debo Samuel was able to be featured and continue to have big games. There's no reason A.J. Brown can't be utilized in the same kind of role and same kind of way. One thing that seems to be not only is A.J. getting more healthy, they're remembering how to use him, allowing him to run slants and, and crossing patterns again instead of just outside patterns. So I think as you see him kind of get back into the, his his norm and this offense get back into their norm, he should be continue to be productive. And if Julio Jones is out there as well, it's going to continue to help him kind of take the pressure off of A.J. where you can't just key on taking away from him. Not that the Colts actually double anybody anyway with their soft zone defense.
2: Yeah, no, exactly. That, that's why I love the matchup for him. If Julio is out there, he didn't practice today. A.J. Brown was only a limited participant in practice. Neither one of these guys ever practiced on a Wednesday, no matter what's going on anyway. So I'm not really worried about that aspect of it. If Julio Jones does play, he does come in at wide receiver 37 for me. Again, has more to do with the matchup than anything else. He has shown that he can still make big plays if he's healthy enough to do so. We still just, we just don't know where he's at on that hamstring injury. It feels like he's trying to play through it when maybe he should just shut it down and actually get 100% healthy. But he does come in as a high-end wide receiver 4, low-end wide receiver 3 for me. Ryan Tannehill, a streaming quarterback at QB 14. Got over the hump against Kansas City. Now we've finally seen him have a good fantasy output. I can kind of trust it a little bit more in another good matchup against the Indianapolis Colts.
4: Yeah, I think that all these guys are definitely plays. I think Tannehill, you know, showing he has a good floor. I don't know love his ceiling necessarily, but I do think he has a good floor. And Julio Jones, to me, is a guy that we right now, we still Xavier Rhodes can't play. He looks like that Viking corner two years, two years ago, where he's just going to get torched if you actually tack down the field against him. So if Julio is active, I think he's a good play. But if he's not, I think that A.J. Brown and Henry and Tyon Hill are the guys you can just lean on.
2: And and Colts, I mean, the Colts have a lot of good plays for me this week. Obviously, if Jonathan Taylor, he's you know RB5 for me this week. They've been getting back to finally being able to run the ball more and lean on Jonathan Taylor, which in turn not only gets him going, gets him in rhythm. And you see what he's able to do with his ability when you leave Naeem Hines and Marlon Mack out of the equation for a little bit, which has been nice. But it also opens up play action for Carson Wentz, who has also been playing a lot better. Now, some of this gets credited to the offensive line, which suddenly went from looking horrible and was playing very disappointing to the last couple of weeks. Now, all of a sudden blowing people off the ball like we expected them to do. So part of it's that as well. But with Carson Wentz having play action, you have T.Y. Hilton, though he didn't practice today. The overall expectations that he's going to come back and play in this game. You like the matchup there. He comes in at wide receiver 44 for me, because I do think he has the potential for a couple play-action bombs. But Michael Pittman is still the guy I have ranked ahead as the top wide receiver. He comes in at wide receiver 19. I still think he'll be more of the volume guy and Hilton be the big play guy, but those two combined, making Carson Wentz a QB 12 for me as a low-end QB 1 and a start for me this week.
4: Yeah, I think the key is definitely Hilton. If Hilton's going to be active this week, I think it opens up things for everybody. Carson Wentz likes to have that deep threat, and I think Hilton definitely have a good game. I agree with you. Pittman's going to probably be the volume guy and definitely the red zone guy. But I think Hilton's an obvious guy that they kind of like. You remember how Carson Wentz with was with Sean Jackson? He loved to throw the ball down to him. He loved to throw the deep ball. And when those first two games, the first game back with him and Campbell before Campbell got hurt, Carson Wentz looked like he got unleashed in a sense where he actually fired the ball down the field. And one thing I like about Carson Wentz also especially last week after watching last week's game against the 49ers, the sloppy match, sloppy matchup, he ran the ball, and he wasn't scared to run the ball. And that's something I haven't seen him for a couple of years down in Carson Wentz. So that gives him another extra little volume of floor there, especially people paying attention to Jonathan Taylor and some of the things that you have to kind of keep in mind against this Colts team off the line getting more in continuity and kind of getting healthier and healthier as the season progressed. I think this is an opportunity for all three of those guys to kind of be involved. And T.Y. Hilton, like, to me, that's that X factor. that actually busted open even more for all of them.
2: No, I don't disagree with any of that. And and the other thing, Carson Wentz, clearly, he's getting over that ankle injury, that foot injury that he had early on because he looks like he's more comfortable moving around in the pocket, which is leading to him actually scrambling a bit more in this matchup. So I like a lot of guys there for both these teams. Could this possibly potentially become one of those games where you have this divisional rival and it, it winds up being a low-scoring game when it should be a shootout? Potentially. But this should be a shootout on paper, which makes me excited for all the fantasy guys that you would want to key in on for this matchup in one level or another. Uh, pulling up the betting line here. I just had well, it a second ago. Go ahead.
4: As you bring up the line, I was just going to comment. I'm not a believer in this Tennessee Titans defense at all. No. What we saw versus the Chiefs was completely Chiefs self-affected. It wasn't just Patrick Mahomes. That was a horrible game plan. And, and Andy Reid and Eric Biennium have done a horrible job this entire season for that offense and making them so predictable and so vanilla. It's ridiculous. So don't get all excited about the Colts, I mean, the Tennyson Titans defense, particularly the secondary because they're banged up. They're playing like their third, fourth, fifth, fifth corners right now. So this that game plan they saw last week isn't going to happen again versus Colts team.
2: Yeah, Mike Vrabel didn't crack the code. He didn't find some secret sauce to suddenly make the Titans defense actually good. To your point, that was completely Chiefs inflected, not the Tennessee Titans doing at all in that game. The only thing that was different about that game was that Bud Dupree was back, so they had somewhat of a semblance of a pass rush, but that's not enough to kind of crack the code as it would on Tennessee. You still love this matchup here for a shootout game. In fact, the overrunner set at 51 in this matchup. And I the it's pretty much a pick'em game. It's it's minus one for the Colts at home. So they're saying this game go either way. I tend to agree with that as far as who wins this game. But I'm gonna go with the over. I'm gonna double down on this being a shootout matchup and then go over 51 points.
4: Yeah, I'm not gonna necessarily go on the over. Um, but I do you said the Colts are the favorite.
2: Minus they're minus one, so yeah.
4: Yeah. So I like the Colts to win at home. I think it's gonna be an upset victory for him. I think the Colts are starting to write the ship. And this is a chance for them to climb back into the division race. So I think the Colts are going to pull it out. I'd bet on the Colts this game.
2: Okay. I like it. I like it. Showing some gump there. Uh, Let's go with the Cincinnati Bengals and the New York Jets. I know. It's going to be a back-and-forth matchup, right? Not. So Jamar Chase goes bananas last week. I don't know if you heard, but he had 200 yards and a touchdown and eight receptions, and he's been an absolute monster. He comes in at wide receiver three for me this week. T. Higgins comes in at wide receiver 28. Even CJ Usama comes in at tight end 15, which technically makes him my streaming territory. I don't want to play him because make this, let's make this clear real quick on CJ Usama. It was still three targets. Okay. Yes, he had the two touchdowns. Yes, it was still three targets. Usage is not there for him to actually be somebody you really want to pick up and play, uh, even against the New York Jets. But, yes, does he have the potential for a touchdown? Sure. So does, you know, another 20 tight ends. I'm not super excited about CJ Usama, but does come in a tight end 15 for me, putting it technically in that streaming territory. Like I said, Burroughs QB9. Now, I say all that in order because of this. Some people might be worried that the Cincinnati Bengals against New York Jets, they might just be able to sit there and run the football and not worry about throwing it. But here's the thing. They've been trending in the other direction. As Burrow has gotten healthier, as his offensive line has surprised a lot of people, especially when it comes to pass protection, they've gotten more comfortable letting Burrow play and throw the ball no matter what the situation is. Even when they're up multiple scores so far the last few weeks, they've been throwing the football. I don't see why that changes against the New York Jets. And the other aspect is this, because Jamar Chase keeps getting these big plays at their big plays it opens them up to get more plays off, be more up-tempo offense, and doesn't necessarily need the volume that you typically would want to maintain that kind of value. So nothing changes here against New York Jets. I'm not worried about this, you know, Joe Mixon just dominating and the passing game not getting involved. You're playing all these guys with the utmost of confidence.
4: Yeah, I definitely agree with you. Um, I look at the First of all, you talked about the Lions defense getting overrated against the pass. The Jets is another team that people like to point at numbers, and like, oh, look how they're good they're against the pass. Yeah, because you don't have to throw the ball against the Jets. But having said that, to your point, I don't know if the Cincinnati is going to go out there and throw for 400 yards. I mean, that's necessarily going to happen. But I do think we see Joe Burrow have low-volume games and still have three or four touchdown passes. All of the Green Bay game. So I think this is an opportunity for him to actually – he's going he's gonna to be productive regardless. I think the guy I, I really – Jamar Chase obviously is a good play. but I love T. Higgins this week. I think he's most guaranteed to get a touchdown. All the volume he's been getting is like a touchdown usage in the, over the season. I think it's going to be inevitable he scores in this game. Um, and I love the matchup versus the secondary. Right? So the Jets' secondary is not any good. And most of all, the best thing for all these players is the Jets had no pass rush. It's probably the only Achilles' heel of versus this Cincinnati offense. And if you can't generate against pass rusher against Joe Burrow. He's gonna pick you apart all day, every day. So I like I like all three of those guys a lot in this offense. In tight end position, as you talked about, you know, Uzma had a good. I think with week three, he was had a good game, and we never heard from him again until this most recent game. So th- that's kind of a guy who's gonna have you know his game every four or five games. If anybody's gonna have a shining game, it'd be Tyler Boyd because he's been kind of forgotten about in this offense. I wouldn't expect bet on this tight end to do that again what he did last week.
2: No, I I tend to agree. Joe Mixon, of course, my RB4. For all you people out there who are worried about Samajah Perrine, this is where actually watching the game, following how people are getting utilized comes in handy. Uh, Samaja Perrine got, I think it was 70% of his work in the fourth quarter when they're up multiple scores and running the game out, and he happened to break a big one against the Baltimore Ravens. This was not a platoon situation against the Ravens on Sunday okay so everyone just relax a little bit on the whole Joe Mixon uh uh-oh is Samadja Perrine the only thing and I talked about this in the recap the only thing that a healthy Perrine bothers me when it comes with Joe Mixon is that unfortunately he's become the new Genevieve Bernard for whatever reason and is taking away from Mixon in the passing game that part is true he is negatively getting effective in that aspect of it Still not to a huge degree. Still gets involved. But this is not a committee now between Joe Mixon and Samaja Prince. Everybody call your Jets. Expect them to have a big game this week against the New York Jets at RB4. On the Jets side, So, I <laughs> did they know that when they traded for Joe Flacco, they weren't going to have him this week? Because I felt like everybody in the Jets organization thought they were going to have Joe Flacco this week. He can't practice until Friday, so he ain't going to be able to play. It is going to be uh, Mike White, which is awful. Uh, <laughs> uh Michael Carter is an RB30 for me. Uh, Corey Davis, wide receiver 36, although I do think I'm going to probably wind up changing that and taking him down a few spots. Crowder's in the 50s, he's a wide receiver five. Uh, I'm not if I can help it, I don't want to play anything. Michael Carter is trending in the right direction as far as taking over this backfield, which great for him usage-wise. That'll keep us an RB3 for most of the year. But with Mike White back there, it's kind of like it's, it's like Davis Mills, but even worse somehow. I don't know if the Jets can do anything offensively, so I don't want to touch it if I can all help it. Again, like I said, Corey Davis at wide receiver 36, pretty good chance I'm going to wind up knocking him down a few spots now that we have confirmation. It's going to be Mike White at quarterback.
4: Well, I tend to agree with you. Having said that, though, I think it's going to be the Jets are like the masters of garbage time points, especially. And fun. I don't necessarily think this offense is going to be a whole lot different. If anything, Michael Carter seems to have a safer floor, especially in PPR leagues, because he's actually the ball checked down to him quite often. Uh, White loves to check the ball. Down. And I think, you know, the last two or three series that he played, it was basically the running backs taking turns catching the ball. And Corey Davis sprinkled in there once in a while. So I think that's pretty much what all you're going to see, again, a lot of checkdowns, and then you're also going to see Corey Davis is kind of probably the primary read. For me, it doesn't really matter if Zach Wilson's out there or not right now. Because this offense is putrid, so it didn't really matter who the quarterback was going to be. You're probably going to get about 200 yards passing at max, and you're going to hope that somebody gets involved a little bit. More than likely, it's probably going to be Corey Davis and Michael Carter, so the two guys that are going to play the Jets offense, that's who I play. Um, I think they have to have the opportunity to get some garbage time points. You don't get a lot of points, especially in the first quarter for this Jets offense, or first half in this Jets offense. So you're basically banking on garbage time. Cincinnati should be able to blow them out pretty well. well the, we're going to get to the, the line in a second, which shocked me today. Um, but I also I think that this is a team that you know obviously is going to struggle to score, but there's going to be opportunities even with Mike White at a quarterback to have some guys be fairly productive.
2: Yeah, uh, the lines minus ten and a half. The over at forty two. I'm going to give you my same game parlay. I'm going to take minus ten and a half, of course, on the Bengals. I can't believe they're only ten and a half point point favorites in this game, and I do think this goes over because I don't see any reason why the Bengals don't put up plus thirty points themselves in this matchup. So all you need the Jets to do is really score a touchdown, and this thing goes over 42. So give me a same-game parlay for Cincinnati Bengals against the New York Jets.
4: Yeah, this isn't your same old Bengals team. They have a lot more talent than they typically have. This is your same old Jets team, unfortunately. And the coaching staff has been horrendous this entire season. I think they definitely can bet on that the Cincinnati should win this game by double digits. I would go with on a 10.5 as well.
2: Here we go. So now we got the Rams and the Houston Texans. We might have Tyrod Taylor back. That's the only good news I can offer you for Brandon Cooks. And I guess the other good news I can offer you is that Jalen Ramsey most likely won't shadow him, and they do tend to move Cooks all the way around. So you'll have some opportunities without Ramsey. Cooks does come in at wide receiver 26 for me, so a high-end wide receiver 3. But here's the thing. The Rams defense is playing better. They're looking more at least more closer to the version of themselves from last year. So there is a chance you're running the risk that they run to a buzzsaw as they have in a couple of games. And that's why Brandon Cooks has kind of struggled in his own right, even though the volume's been there because the offense in general has been so bad. But that's where your hope of Tyrod Taylor starting this game comes into play. He was out there practicing today. From what I'm told, unless he has a setback, they do think he's going to wind up playing in this game. So, Chris, do you think you can play Brandon Cooks against the Rams?
4: I absolutely do. I mean, I'd look at this. You talk to Rams kind of rounding in their form. I haven't really seen that. I thought Detroit moved the ball pretty well against them last week. I was actually shocked how. Yeah, how they didn't really
2: move the ball until the second half when they were playing prevent defense. and, and it
4: didn't That matter. game was close the entire game. So, I mean, I don't know. I don't know it wasn't, not moving it wasn't the ball close at all.
2: going into the third quarter. It wasn't what? It wasn't close going into the third quarter.
4: That game was pretty close in the first half, especially. Um, I think Detroit was able to move the ball pretty efficiently. And I think that you had guys definitely, you know, Raymond was involved, the running backs were involved. I think that you're going to have Tyrod Taylor be able to move this offense way better than Davis Mills can. I think Brandon Cooks will kind of return back to the former in some senses. I think basically what was happening was Mills was so bad and he was getting so gun-shy when any kind of pressure came that Cooks wasn't even going to get in the targets you were kind of expecting him to get before either. So I think that all the different things that factor with Tyrod Taylor coming back, I'm not in love with this Rams defense, with Raheem Morris as the defensive coordinator. And I think that you're going to have Brandon Cooks have more of an upside this game and need to be featured a lot. I mean, basically is the passing game. We know that.
2: Yeah, 100%. Like I say, he's still wide receiver three. The volume keeps him fantasy relevant, even in a tough matchup. And if Tyrod plays, maybe he has a chance for a little bit of a higher ceiling. But on the Rams side of the ball, I mean, you're, you're playing everybody. Matthew Stafford, QB6, Darrell Henderson, RB13 for me on the week. Uh, Cooper Cup, of course, my wide receiver one. And Robert Woods, even, my wide receiver 30. I do want to mention Van Jefferson. I like where his usage is trending. I'm not going to play him this week, necessarily, because I don't think they'll need him. But as somebody in matchups where it could go back and forth, may start to see Van Jefferson start to sneak into that wide receiver four flex play territory if his usage continues to trend where it's going. And I'll mention Tyler Higby, my tight end 11. I think the only thing to note here is the whole Robert Woods, Cooper Cup thing. Robert Woods is the number two guy. There's no longer a 1A, 1B situation because unless they make a point to feature him like they did the one game where he went off that Thursday night, Cooper Cup just takes it all. And it doesn't matter what the matchup is. Even against Houston, we saw against Detroit, they're going to throw the ball where they have to or not. They're going to throw the ball, and therefore Cooper Cup's always going to be the better factor to that. Anything you have to say about that?
4: Uh, Matthew Stafford loves some Cooper cup. Somebody yeah. thought that might happen. Um, but no, the one thing I will say that I, Tyler Higby to me is the, one of the best plays you could play of all those different matchups. I mean, all those guys are great like, plays, but Tyler Higby is going to be a great play. He's kind of underachieved last few weeks. This is a fantastic matchup and I'm going to beat it down to the, you know, beat you guys over the head with this. Whatever tight end plays versus the Texans is almost guaranteed to get a touchdown.
2: Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. And look, the usage, Higby's one of those guys with the usage has been there the entire time, which is why I have not come off of him as a low end tight end one, even though the fantasy production hasn't always necessarily been there. A prime player of process over results because the results will come if this continues to go this way. This line is minus 14 and a half in favor of the Rams, the over under set at 47 and a half. If Tyrod plays, I actually might say no contest. If he doesn't, give me the Rams at minus 14 and a half.
4: Yeah, I mean, I think the Rams should be favored by that much. I don't really love the line on this game for either way. I think Tyrod gives them a chance, a fighting chance, to kind of you know make it a closer game than that. But on the Rams side, I, other than the Giants game, I haven't really seen them blow out teams the way that they can. So no, I'm kind haven't. of interested. Sorry, what'd you say?
2: No, I said no, they haven't. I agree with you.
4: Um, so I, I am kind of a little bit curious to see if this game going to hang around because they're kind of low. You know, Texans can be a tougher team where they can know they can kind of put them away when they need to. So I wouldn't really bet on this game because I don't think there's anything really advantageous that I, jumps out to me.
2: I agree. Guess what time it is? Uh, mail, time. mail time. The mail's here. The mail is here. Remember, if you ever want to get on the mailbag segment, all you got to do is hit us up on social media at BillyUpMDFFShow. Hit us on our DMs. We'll answer all your questions, and I'll pick out a few of our favorite ones to give you guys a shout out on the show. This week, Bell hit me up, and we don't talk enough about defenses or and or kickers on this show, so I thought this was a good question to bring up today. He's asking me about streaming a defense, Chicago's D, Seattle's D, or Tennessee's defense. First of all, these are all crappy choices to choose from, especially with Khalil Mack being out for Chicago. Uh, But I do have the Seattle's defense ranked the highest of the group this week because even though they're not a good defense, you can still count on the Jaguars to give you some turnovers. So that's why I'm going with Seattle's defense. I have them ranked a couple spots higher than Chicago's defense. And Tennessee's defense belongs in the 20s, and that's where I have them. Again, stop buying the hype on Tennessee's defense after that Kansas City Chief fiasco.
4: Yeah. I definitely would have to play the Titans defense. I like to see if Robert Quinn's gonna be back this week. If they don't have Khalil Mack and Robert Quinn versus Chicago, then I don't think you can play that defense. Um they are a decent tackling team. They have done a decent job against running games. So I I could see they're kind of holding the you know 49ers offense down to a degree. But I think you have to kind of go with what you're saying. I think that you're looking at more upside, more opportunity for some turnovers. So yeah, I'm gonna go with I'm gonna go with your choice as well.
2: Clyde asked, should I trade Zeke? For Antonio Gibson and Michael Pittman, Clyde, no, 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 no. Antonio Gibson is a breath away from having to miss time. That's so clear to me. He looks like he's running in concrete with this injury right now. He's just not nearly explosive as himself. And he's not going to get any better because he's not resting it. Also, Michael Pittman with T.Y. Hilton coming back. Michael Pittman depends on volume. That Some of that volume is going to get taken away if Hilton stays on the field on a consistent basis. Zeke has been a monster. I don't know why you'd want to even trade a guy who is a bona fide top four running back the rest of the way. And by the way, his bye week is out of the way. So now you don't have to worry about that either moving forward. No way do I make that deal, Clyde.
4: Yeah, and by the way, Collins is coming back to the other tackle for Dallas. Their offensive line gets more reinforcements as well. One of their better run blockers returning this week as well.
2: I bribe anybody else.
4: <laughs> yeah, so I'm definitely I'm definitely gonna stick with Zeke on that situation. Um you talked about Gibson's injuries and he's you know, I don't know how people talking about the matchups coming up for this team. He had a great matchup the last couple of weeks as well and hasn't done squat because of the injury. So yeah, I'm definitely not making that trade at all.
2: Jerry asked a lot of trade questions this week. Jerry asked, trade Kamara and LaVisca Chenault for Deontay Harris, Joe Mixon, and Michael Pittman. Again, no why would you? Alvin Kamara is already on the trend of getting back to what he used to be, which is a prime time pass catcher, which is where a lot of his fantasy value always came from anyway. So his ceiling is getting even higher, and his ceiling was already a top three running back. Now I think the conversation is, is it Kamara or Dalvin Cook, the number two running back, the rest of the way. Also, kind of like Zeke, has already had his bye week out of the way. The Levisca Chanel thing, I mean, look, Deontay Harris, he's fodder. He's fantasy fodder. He's literally meaningless, especially the second Michael Thomas comes back. So why this would be even an aspect of this trade, I don't understand. Joe Mixon, again, not Alvin Kamara. And then Michael Pittman. Uh, look, is, The gap between LaVisca Chanel is not as significant as the gap between Kamara and Mixon. Okay? It's just it's just not. So no way am I making this deal.
4: Yeah, I thought I was going to say no because I thought it was Hadamian Harris at first, but it's Deontay Harris- Hell no! Yeah, hell hell no. I love Joe Mixon, but don't get it twisted. He's not Alvin Kamara.
2: No 100 percent. And then last but not least, TJ asked start Randall Cobb, Marquez Valdez Scantling, or Marvin Jones this week. You're starting Marvin Jones. He's actually my wide receiver twenty. We'll t- I'll talk about more about that game tomorrow because it's the late or Friday. Excuse me at eleven a.m. It's the late window of games. But Marvin Jones is a wide receiver two for me. We just talked about how we really do not trust a Randall Cobb or a Marquez Valdez-Scantling heading into this matchup against the Arizona Cardinals.
4: Yeah, I mean, as long as Jacksonville doesn't go back to full, you know, idiot mode, Marvin Jones should continue to be involved in this offense. He had been Trevor Lawrence's favorite target. He is their true number one receiver that they have on their team. And as we pointed out, the Green Bay receiving core, I I don't love any of those guys. So I'm going Marvin Jones as well.
2: 100%. That's going to do it for the show, guys. I hope you all enjoyed it. Thank you so much for tuning in. We'll talk to you guys again on Friday morning. Well, no, tomorrow at, on the uh, Unhinged Radio Network at unhingesn.airtime.pro from 6 to 7.30, basically up until the Thursday night kickoff. I'll be back at 11 a.m. to 12.30 p.m. on Friday, streaming to you live to talk about the Thursday night recap and the preview of the late window of games. And then Chris and I will be back again at 9 p.m., We'll be talking about the MD's DFS contest. It'll be the last week for October, by the way, and our lock bets of the week with Mr. Chaz Pilardi and the Easy Sports betting data. Make sure you're following us along on social media. Make sure you're subscribing. Make sure you're downloading your favorite pop streaming app. And we'll see you guys again real soon.
3: winner.